Welcome to episode number 23 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And it's uh, been an interesting last week. Um, For those who don't know, we took the week off last week as we went to an event hosted by Spanky, uh, one of our previous podcast guests in Jersey City uh, called Betbash. And we actually really haven't had a chance to talk about it, Johnny, because we drove back the day following completely hung over from that event at least i know i was not too bad at least but um general impressions from the first inaugural bet bash i think it was a great event um it was it was kind of like all the good parts of the of the sloan sports analytics conference and it took out a lot of the bad parts in my opinion which are some of those panels with you know people not necessarily related to gambling or you know some people who i don't necessarily want to spend time listening to a lot of forced panels things like that so i know last time rob you and i went down uh, to sloan in boston uh pre-covid and uh essentially what happened there was I, I didn't even buy a ticket to the conference last year i just went for the networking met up with all the boys the gambling crew and uh, we really ended up just you know sitting at the bar a bunch and talking with the boys and everything like that so this was essentially all that the goodness of it and I didn't have to go to any panels or anything like that. So I, I loved it. I think the event was a great idea. And Spanky announced the second one in, in Las Vegas. And, you know, I'll be happy to attend that one as well. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was a little bit skeptical. Like, I obviously know the amount of work Spanky was putting into the event. And he was messaging me pretty much on a weekly basis. And I, I could tell he was stressing a little bit because he wanted to go off without a hitch. Um, I'm glad he ended up not getting that jazz band as I recommended, because I think that would have been <laughs> pretty loud for the the rooftop patio that we were on. But um, no, I, I mean, it turned out to be pretty good. And I, I would say not what I expected necessarily. Um, the networking was fantastic, met a lot of new people. It was great to, to actually put some faces uh, to some names. Um, but I, what I liked the most about it was there was a pretty wide variety of people, I would say. Like, obviously, a lot of people there were uh, professional sports betters in some capacity, but people who do things very, very differently uh, and getting to sit down and chat with those people was nice. And um, it was also very interesting to me that there was probably like five to 10% um, of the people there were like not even sports betters, but just wanted to interact with people that they um, interact with on Twitter all the time and also put a face to the name and, and sit down and chat with them. So that was pretty cool. Uh, all in all for me, like the night went by fast like it, I, I couldn't believe how quickly um, things went by, but um, overall, I, I I would definitely deem it a success. And I, I too am looking forward to to Bet Bash too, uh, which I think was announced to be Final Four weekend at Circa uh, in Las Vegas. So I can't wait for that. Hopefully, we have an even bigger crowd this time. But uh, yeah, it was a cool event overall. Very important to network, not just in this space, but in a bunch of different industries. I think, you know. You can never have too many friends, especially if you're in a business that's either B2B or B2C. So if you're working with other businesses, you're always going to want to meet those partners face to face. Throughout uh, you know, this past couple of years, this past year and a bit, all the meetings are online and it's all good. You can still get to know someone online or over a Zoom call, but there's nothing like actually doing business in person, actually meeting someone in person, shaking their hand, looking them in the eye and just being able to talk to them about whatever. Uh, a lot of the times at these Zoom meetings, you get into the meeting, let's say you're doing business with somebody and right away it's, oh, how's the weather? You know, it's a one minute of small talk 
And then, all right, let's get down to business. Let's see what we're doing. And then you go through the business proposal. Yep, we got a deal. We're going to do this. Here's the next steps. Close the meeting. You never get to build a personal relationship with somebody. So, you know, having like an office to go into in previous years was a lot of, you know, oh, we got an office. Like, let's go. You shoot the shit, grab a lunch, go for lunch with someone. And when you're on lunch, you're not talking business. You're talking what what else you're interested in. You build friendships. You build long lasting relationships and you're more likely to do business with those people in the future. So I'm, I'm a big, you know, relationship build guy. I love to talk to people in person. And then even just getting out to Jersey, uh, and New York city, we were able to meet with a couple partners, uh, who we're doing business with on Betstamp, And it's so much nicer and easier to actually get to know them versus just having a, uh, you know, 30 minute zoom call where 29, 29 and a half minutes are all business. So that's the, the, the one thing I will say is, you know, I do think the world's moving to digital and you know, I'm all for that, but there's nothing like a good face-to-face meeting because you really get to actually meet people for who they are uh, instead of just for, you know, business. It puts a lot more fun into life. Yeah. I think this definitely filled the gap of going to Sloan um, for me, um, which I've gone to, I think for like five or six in a year, six years in a row before COVID happened. And you see a lot of the same faces, but it's just like that one time a year where like all the guys get together type of thing. And, um, have a good time. And, and I think this definitely filled that need for me. So it was, it was good to get back to like some normalcy a little bit. Um, I agree with you. I definitely think the world is moving digital now. And a lot of companies have realized, well, maybe we don't need to have offices anymore and we can still be fully functional in a digital capacity. Everybody working online, working from home and things of that nature. And that's completely fine. But um, I, I definitely was missing the, uh, I guess, quote unquote, human element. And, and uh, I've been lacking that social interaction for a long time now. So uh, certainly for me, had a great time, got to see some old friends, loved seeing Dinky in his Quebec Nordiques Wendell Clark jersey, best dressed in my opinion at the event, classic jersey, although he couldn't name who Wendell Clark was traded for. Matt uh, Sundin. Which was Matt Sundin, yes. Uh, but great to meet him. And, and uh, again, just so many new people that I was able to actually um, chat with. Uh, chatted with Hitman, who is a tout that I think we will probably have on the program at some point down the road because he is a um, fascinating character. It was great to talk some football with him. And there was probably like five or six different people where I was speaking to them and said to myself, well, you know what, I'm not going to spend the entire night talking to this person, but potentially down the road, this would be a pretty good circles off podcast guest. So uh, trying to fill out the calendar for the rest of the year. I think we're going to have a lot more interesting conversations down the road because um, there's definitely a lot of fascinating people in this space. I agree 100%. Uh, okay, so if you're a listener of this podcast and you've listened to previous episodes, you know that um, I'm a big fan of the Paul brothers when it comes to boxing. So uh, we wanted to do a quick recap. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Obviously, uh, you had Jake Paul winning via split decision. I know Rob had some comments to say on Twitter. I wanted to get your thoughts on the fight. We actually haven't talked about this yet. Uh, so I'm curious to just know it's an authentic convo here. Rob, what do you, what did you think? Yeah, so... Uh, listen, and did I, you have a bet and who, who was it on? I did. I, I bet Jake Paul on, um, I guess, because uh, on your recommendation, Johnny. Like, I, I wanted some action on the fight. Um I did consider your logic to be sound and it to be a pretty sizable edge. I've seen Woodley fight quite a bit as well. I know he can be pretty passive and timid at times. So for all those reasons, I was on Jake Paul at actually a, a pretty good number because it's not like something I, I bet last minute. Uh, I thought the fight itself was a bit of a dud. Um, 
it was weird for me being completely honest with you it was not um enough of uh of, you know my wager size wasn't enough to have me rooting for Jake Paul I actually absolutely loved it when Woodley caught him and and found myself like really rooting for Woodley at that point um so it was like one of those things where I guess at least I got to see Paul get tagged pretty hard uh still dance his way to a victory but I mean uh, I, I've watched uh, mixed martial arts for a long time. I'm not really a huge boxing fan in general, but I, I, I like I know how a fight is is scored, and I get that Woodley landed like a big shot, but and he was the aggressor for the most part, at least controlling the ring a little bit, and you'd call that octagon control in the UFC. But like anyone who's watching that fight, like Jake Paul clearly won at least four of those rounds. Uh, I thought he won five of the seven overall. Like anyone arguing anything differently, I think is just not really exposed to fighting all that much or uh, is biased in some capacity because to me it was, as much as I hate to say it, I think it was just like a, a, a very clear victory for Paul. Yeah, it's slight correction of eight rounds. I think eight. Jake Paul had either five or six. Right. So, but six. I, I five or six, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, anyone who's now complaining that the fights are getting boring, that's the nature of boxing. When you start off and you're facing guys who you're going to knock out, it's a lot more fun. You face the quote-unquote tin cans to build up the record uh tyron woodley you know it's hard to finish him in the ufc with the smaller gloves it's going to be very hard to get a finish in in boxing uh especially for a guy who's you know listen he's jake paul's good but he's not like elite elite champion i will say i said it before i'll say it again jake paul absolute legend what this guy's done in four fights now no one has ever done anything like this and a lot of people hate him but, and he, yes, he hasn't faced a quote unquote real boxer, but at this point it doesn't matter. You look at, uh, this guy, Tommy Fury, he's Tyson Fury, heavyweight champion of the world's half brother. Um, you know, he's like a big time influencer, Love Island, UK, um, you know, a couple million followers. He's got the looks, he's got the skill. Um, and people are thinking Tommy Fury, he's a real boxer. You look at his record, the cumulative guys he's faced and beat their records like, a hundred and a thousand. It's it's <laughs> insanity. He's facing tin cans. He faced a guy who was, you know, like I'm I'm paraphrasing the numbers. These are not exact, but he's faced the guys like eleven and hundred and five. He's faced the guys like zero oh and fifty. And obviously, he's gonna beat up on these cans because they're just there to be journeymen. Uh, when you look at Jake Paul, you say oh, he hasn't faced anyone. It's his fourth fight. That's how it is in boxing. So, uh, I think it was a sizable edge on Woodley for a couple reasons. One, Jake Paul is much bigger. Uh, and two, he has been training legit. Like he is, he is a legit boxer. In fact, I do think he would beat Tommy Fury at this point in his career. Anyways, uh, he's going to be up there against any quote unquote real boxers as well. When you get to the championship level, yeah, he may not be there yet, but if he continues to do it, he will. Um, people thought he was crazy for calling out Conor McGregor. I'm also a big fan of Conor McGregor. I do think Jake Paul beats him quite easily in boxing. Basically, you know, same same reason. He's been training. He's a good boxer. He's much bigger. That's an easy fight for Jake Paul. What's next for him is probably another big time celebrity that's not a boxer, only because you know he's built this larger than life brand at this point where he can't face any boxer because it's just too small and won't move the needle. He's got to face somebody like McGregor next, or maybe a Nate Diaz or a Nick Diaz or another big time UFC fighter where they can move the needle, move the needle and sell pay per views. So. Jake Paul, absolute legend. Keep on rolling. You know, 
also had him by decision. Not trying to not trying to pass post people and sell and 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 tell my own thing. But Jake Paul, legend. I mean, love that guy. Got I got to buy him a beer if I ever see him. And uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. I'm I'm all for it. I can't wait. To, he, I mean, he said he retired, but hopefully he uh, he comes back and we get to see you know either him versus McGregor or you know him versus another big time guy. I I don't know how many more of the spectacles I can take. To be completely honest with you, I think like I ended up watching that fight, and at the end of it, I'm like. Basically, I don't think I can do this again to myself. I just wasted a bunch of time. So I do think it has to be a name that's big enough to warrant interest or I'm probably going to skip the next one just because there's been so many duds in a row. I do agree he's a legend in the sense that he has made so much money um, off of these things that it's it's actually absurd. And uh, he set himself up like pretty nicely. Like when you... his uh, Listen, boxing is very difficult. Um I, I, any sort of, of combat training, like people don't realize how quickly you can get gassed. And like, it takes a lot of training, uh, to be able to, to go like eight rounds, even eight rounds. I know it's a shorter fight. It takes a lot to go that, I mean, he was clearly gassed after like three rounds and he still managed to like throw in, throw enough punches to, to get a victory there. And I think he's clearly outclassed Woodley. Um, maybe he got caught once. Yes. But, um, I mean, he's done really well for himself. I will say, I just find him so unlikable. Like, even though I won money off him, I, I I can't pinpoint what it is. I honestly don't even know what it is. I just find him to be so unlikable. Um, and that's it. Like, I'll, I, I'll tell you this right now. I followed this guy for a while. I'm a Logan Paul fan by association. I've been exposed to Jake Paul over the years in a bunch of videos. I will say... When I'm saying this, that guy is an absolute genius. Love him or hate him, it's all by design. He knows how to generate the clicks. He knows that's his game. He knows that's how he's going to get famous and make money. It's not a joke to stay at the top. It's not lucky. If you're that popular, that famous for that long, and you're able to monetize it in different ways across different industries, like to go to YouTube, to different content, to media, to boxing, he was a Disney Channel kid to start. Like, it's not a mistake. Him, his management, absolute geniuses in this. Um, I do want to say also, Rob mentioned about the judging, like judging horrible in all sports, um, all combat sports. It's the same in the UFC. It's even worse in the smaller leagues because uh, they don't get as much notoriety. But in boxing, like when that fight was over, like before the decision happened, but after the fight, um, all my group chats were blowing up. Jake Paul won, Jake Paul won. I, I, I would not accept the victory until it was official. I told them, I wrote in all my group chats, uh, I'm like, bold call, guys. I'm calling this right now. This is going to be a draw. And we were one Woodley round away on one judge's scorecard from a draw. That's how crazy boxing judging is. You never know what's going to happen. It's, um, I mean, I don't know what these guys are watching. They're watching ringside. It's different, different in terms of what they're seeing. Maybe they're more impacted by the sound, the crowd cheers, things like that. But we got to have a better scoring system considering I think it was, there was only two rounds the judges agreed upon unanimously, which for an eight round fight is pretty embarrassing. And then the last five rounds of the fight, you had one judge, uh, or I think it was the last four rounds of the fight. One judge split two and two. One judge had four Jake Paul, one had four for Tyron Woodley. So stuff like that needs to be fixed, but that it is what it is. And I do want to rant on one, on one more thing that I was actually pretty pissed about is because it, it relates back to this industry. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will be able to relate to this. 
prior to the fight, about a month before, they were doing a promotion press conference. And um, Jake Paul, just being the, the heel that he is, trying to get in Woodley's head, said, if you lose this fight, um, then, you know, if he, he basically offered him at first. He said, if you win this fight, I'll double your purse. And if you lose this fight, then you got to you got to donate your whole purse to, to my charity. So that was the initial bet. He's like, you think you're going to beat me so easily? I'll double your purse if you think so. Woodley obviously declined. He's in for a big payday. You didn't want to risk that. Jake Paul said, listen, you're not confident. How about this? If you lose, you get a tattoo, I love Jake Paul on your body. And if I lose, I'll get I love Tyron Woodley, but I'm not going to lose. Tyron, he, he mulls it over for a bit, goes to the crowd. There's a video. And then he says, you know what? All right, bet deal. They go shake on it. If he loses, he gets the tattoo. Jake Paul brings his tattoo artist to the fight and says, when I beat this guy, she's going right into his room, into his dressing room. We're going to wipe the sweat off his leg, shave it down. And he's getting the, I love Jake Paul. And she had even drawn up three designs prior to the fight. You know, he made it a big media thing. The, the Again, the genius in, in promotion. So what happens is the fight ends. Jake Paul wins, says, get the tattoo. And they're t- you could see him talking before they kind of go on the mics. And it seems like Woodley's like refusing. And then Jake Paul says, listen, it's over. I win. Woodley grabs the mic, says, we need the rematch. I thought I won that fight. Give me the rematch. You have Logan Paul jumping in. He's like, listen, you old news fam, get out of here. You're old news. <laughs> I don't even know why he was allowed in the ring, but he's just going off. Jake Paul's then like, listen, you're not, we're not getting the rematch. I'm going to move on to bigger and better things. He's like, but if you get the tattoo, I'll get a rematch. And then Woodley's like, all right, fine. I'll get the tattoo. Still hasn't gotten it. Like I wanted to rant on this because it's relevant to this industry. When you make a bet and shake on it and you lose, pay the bet. And I don't like, I don't want to swear. I don't want to get into this, but pay the bleeping bet. You cannot stiff people. You, your whole reputation is on honor system. If you're going to stiff people on a bet, re- whether it's stupid or not, you know, like there's some things that are clear jokes with your buddies and stuff like that where, you know, I mean, they have exceptions. But when you're on a national stage, you bet someone, shake on a bet. You can't be stiffing on this bet and be like, nah, I'm not going to get it because that's your whole reputation. You know, so when you're in this industry, you're partnering with somebody on a betting account um, and you, you lose money or you owe money, pay the money. And if you can't pay it right now, then you got to message them and say, listen, like I can't pay it right now for X reason, but I'm going to pay it off next week. I'm going to have a plan in place to get you the money. People get caught all the time and things like that. But when you make a bet, when you honor something, you have to honor it at the end of the day. Otherwise your integrity is shot. And that's literally one of the only things you have in life to, to stand on. So again, Tyron Woodley, whether he gets a tattoo or not, Personally, I don't care, but pay your bets, everybody who's listening. And I that's think, my rant. I think that's a good one. And just to further that, if the terms of a bet are uncomfortable enough that you would welch on it at some point, then you should never be making that bet. And in most cases, we're betting monetary values, obviously, where I mean, a lot of people bet on credit and they bet with numbers that they're uncomfortable with and then they go into hiding or they disappear or they delete their Twitter accounts or whatever they want to do. But at the end of the day, if a bet is going to make you uncomfortable, you have probably staked too much on that wager. And I think that's just a good piece of advice for anyone in general. And I can say that uh, with personal experience on betting uncomfortably, uh, it's just not a 
good place to be in general. So, um, yes, I hate you also welchers. lose the fun of betting when you, when you welch on a bet, the fun of betting is, is the allure is now done. So like, if I say like, no way, if you oh, I'll say something stupid, if you crunch up this water bottle and hit that in the garbage can across the room and you hit that shot, I'll jump in the lake at the cottage and you hit that shot. I better jump in the lake. Right. Otherwise, what's what's the fun? You know what I mean? Little things like this. What well, you lose the fun. Once one person doesn't do it, now now when I make a bet with you, you're gonna now reverse it to me and you're not gonna do it. So it also removes the fun and the entertainment out of betting when someone, you know, stiffs on one bet. Uh that's obviously had you pretty triggered this week. Uh from from my personal experiences this week, football is back. So we got college football. We had week zero of college football. Uh, and the NFL is just around the corner, which means that it's starting to become teaser season for a lot of people. Um, and I see a lot of stuff just in general. When I say I see a lot of stuff, this is mainly Twitter because that's where I, I'm consuming um, or spending a lot of my days is, is consuming information off Twitter and going through my timeline. But the amount of misinformation that's out there in regards to teasers just drives me absolutely up a wall. Uh, and this just doesn't only apply to teasers. I guess it applies to almost everything in sports betting. But when people make these blanketed statements like never do this, never tease college football. I can't even tell you how many times I saw that this week and it makes my head want to explode. And the somebody's it, like, it's probably a good idea most of the time. But when we're talking about teasers in general, um, anyone who watches my periscopes during the NFL season. They know I'm, I'm a big fan of Wong teasers, um, which I'm not really going to explain right now, but it's maximizing uh, the numbers, key numbers, which is three and seven and trying to do it on games with low totals. The reason that it's low totals is because the lower your total in a football game, the less variance there's going to be. Like obviously if the game total is 40, that's very different than if the game total is 80 and what your range of scores can possibly be. So when I see people say, oh, never tease college football, because um, there's way too much variance. Well, yes, that's true because there's more variance in college football than the NFL because totals are generally higher. But if you're looking at a college game that's being played in a windstorm where the game is 30, you know, where the game totals 35 or like a, one of those big 10 games with the total in the high 30s or low 40s, absolutely those qualify as solid teaser plays. Like, the, the variance on those is extremely low. So yeah, don't go tease a big 12 game with a total of 84 and a half. I mean, that's a generally a bad idea, but the amount of bad advice that's just out there and these blanketed statements, it drives me crazy because the person who's relaying this information clearly just doesn't understand it. Um, or they're, they're taking like this, this general, um, notion of something and applying it to all situations. And it, it doesn't really work like that. So, I mean, that's really got me triggered this week and we can probably do a, you know, an entire episode on teaser strategy, but the reality is there's actually so many good resources available online for teaser strategy that we don't need to do one and all people really need to do is look, but mainly need to understand that teasers are mathematical plays, just like kind of the, the remainder of, of sports bets and other types of sports bets. You're always looking to optimize your expected value. And there are some ways to do that with teasers. And there are some ways where you're just really never going to get positive expected value. So the types of teasers that you play, the totals, the sports, obviously all these things matter. Um, and then one more thing that drives me crazy. Sorry to rant here, Johnny, but I, I have to 
get get through these. I saw it again. Uh, there's a lot of literature about the Wong teasers that I talked about online. And most people, you know, it's suggested that you wait until last minute to play the teaser. And the reason for that being closer to game time, the market is much more efficient. It's much different from betting at open. You now have all this, all the market has processed all the information that's available on this game. They've determined what the number should be. So play your teaser at close, go, go through the numbers three and seven games with low totals. That's maximizing your EV. It is for most people, but if you are consistently beating the closing line in any sport, why are you waiting until the last minute to do that? And I get that stuff can happen over the course of the week, injuries and things can work against you and so on and so forth. But if you know a game is going to move, let's just say from plus eight and a half to plus 10 and a half, like, why are you waiting? Or, I mean, that's a bad example. Maybe minus eight and a half to minus 10 and a half. Why would you wait for that number to get out of range? And I get that nobody knows things for certain, but I think people, again, apply this concept um, and they take it way too literally all the time. And it eventually hurts their EV a little bit in the fact that they've let so many plays get away over the course of the week. So many teaser options get away over the course of the week because they wanted to wait to see what it was going to close at and make sure, ensure that they're maximizing their EV when they really could have bet that earlier in the week. And instead of, you know, you can turn a six point teaser into a seven and a half, eight point teaser if you bet it early enough and the market works with you. So that's just something to be cognizant of as, of as well. And again, I don't like specific rules when it comes to sports betting. Never do this, never do that, always do this, unless it's foolproof. And there's no other way to 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 get a higher expected value off of that. And I just find that so much of the information out there now, um, and teasers was the subject for me this week that really triggered me, just does not really um, take that into account. And it's kind of just like people recycling rules that were made up long time ago haven't been adapted um and there's just so much like we're so much better than that like at at this point it's it's just mind-numbing to me that um we continue down the path of never do this always do that type of stuff in sports betting yeah if if a sports betting rule starts with never ever do this then it's probably wrong because there's always going to be scenarios right like never tease the nba i mean like 99.9% 99.9% of the time, yes, you're probably never going to tease the NBA, but there are scenarios in which you can. Um, another thing to mention that Rob, I guess, um, didn't that I'll add is check your sportsbook rules because a lot of these guys have different uh, different rules, you know, like ties push on X teaser. Like if if you have a ties push the whole teaser, um, that could impact your thing. If you have a ties lose, then you should never be teasing something that's on a whole number. You should always want a half number. You know what I mean? Sports betting is about finding an edge, however you can. And when you succumb to these rules of never do this, always do that type of thing, um, you're limiting your ability to find an edge. And often cases, there are things that are out there in plain sight, ways... Like, I'm not saying that, that Wong teasers are bad. I'm saying that they're extremely valuable, in fact. And I think for anyone who doesn't really know what they're doing in the NFL, it's a pretty solid way to be able to get down and have a, a small edge, which a lot of NFL betters, NFL betters at post typically do not have an edge whatsoever. Uh, and that's one way to get one. 
but I'm saying that there are ways that you can increase that EV. Um, and that's not for everyone. It's only for some people for sure, but there's nothing that bothers me more. Like, I mean, well, that's not like a lot of things bother me. I think people know by now that a lot of things bother me, but in the teaser space, there's nothing that bothers you more. Yeah. I would say that's a pretty, um, a pretty good statement. Yeah. In terms of getting an edge too, when Rob mentioned waiting to last minute market timing, listen, like it's not, it's, it's very important in some scenarios In some scenarios it's not very important. Um, but you have to really do for the teasers, a specific kind of cost benefit analysis of where the line's going to move for this teaser specifically. So if you have something that's currently at one and a half, one and a half plus one and a half, and you can tease it up to a seven and a half, you're going through the key numbers of three, six, and seven. It's going to be like, that's your optimal is a plus one and a half. So if that thing moves to plus two and a half, then now you have the eight, which is good, right? So if it goes up, you know, another point, you have the eight, but if it goes down, then you lose the seven. So if that thing goes to plus four, you didn't really gain much. And if it goes to minus one, well, now your teaser's out of range completely. So just looking at different things like that in terms of cost benefit analysis, like if this thing's 50-50 chance to move either way, what's gonna hurt me and how much is it gonna hurt me? And then what's gonna help me and how much is it gonna help me? Same thing with the other way around. You know, If you have something that's currently um, a pick em game, and you can wait for that team to get to plus one or plus two or plus one and a half, then you should wait. And then maybe you're waiting because the benefit is so much worse or so, sorry, so much better than, than the risk there. I mean, that's just that's, how I make, yeah. that's how I make decisions in life just in general. And it translates into sports betting as well. But it's, there's always some sort of risk with whatever you're doing and there's going to be some sort of benefit and you kind of have to evaluate both against one another and decide whether you're going to pull the trigger at that exact moment. And um, I mean, Sports, nobody has perfected sports betting, really. People are continuously improving. Even the, the best bettors in the world are always talking about, oh, I learn something new every day. And I mean, they're probably exaggerating and they're not actually learning something new every day, but they don't know everything. And there's things that change in sports, like scoring changes in the NFL. Look at last season where scoring points per game just went up a couple points on average. Um, and that's going to impact what teaser numbers are worth. So to use closeted or these these blanketed rules that span across decades that people have always been using, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, because you know we're we're not we're not working in markets that aren't changing. Like the the markets are always changing. Prices of teasers are changing. Um, ties push. Like that stuff didn't used to be around. Um, so there's all sorts of stuff that I. I that I can get into, but that's just like general rule of thumb. We're always looking for an edge. Just don't fall into the trap of never do this, always do that type of thing. Unless it's something like obvious, like uh, I, I can't even think of something off the top of my head. Sure, there's going to be some scenarios, but uh, we can always look to to gain an edge in some capacity. Yeah. Speaking of edges, uh, wanted to hit on some future bets for NFL season. Um, so as I mentioned before. A true professional is never going to bet a future bet, a season-long future, into a PPH account uh, or into a credit account where they're going to need that credit. Uh, but there still are some edges where you can bet some things. You know, if you got some extra cash lying around that you're not going to invest in, or you're going to invest in a you know a couple percent um, holdings, you might bet it over the counter somewhere at a regulated book, somewhere in Vegas, and and pick up some nice futures prices. Um, what we wanted to talk about is our 
kind of analysis and breakdown of what we look at. And we'll just pick one or two markets here. So something like an offensive rookie of the year and then something like an MVP um, market for the entire year. And we want to kind of break down, not necessarily give out picks. We don't really give out picks on this podcast, um, except for Jake Paul, bet him every single fight. Uh, just kidding. But uh, what, what we wanted to what we wanted to do is kind of break down our thinking on how we would evaluate like an MVP market. So I'll let Rob go first. Um, and, uh, and then I can give, share my analysis after. Well, at the end of the day, with any bet that you're making, you're always going to look to, um, assign a probability to that outcome and compare it to what books are offering. Now you're always going to do line shopping. You should be at least, and looking for the best price available to you, no matter what, but you're going to say, this is the probability I have of this event happening. And this is what the book is assigning is the probability. I think there's an edge there. Now, a lot of the, the general, you know, things that we talk about, a lot of the narratives in sports, you know, quarterback looking good in preseason, a lot of those en- end up getting built into the market. But there are times where you can capitalize. And and the reason Johnny brings this up is because this happened to us this week with the, the release of, of Cam Newton by the New England Patriots. And immediately the first thing that we're thinking is, okay, we're going to have to look for Mac Jones prices right now, offensive rookie of the year, MVP. And is this information priced into the market yet? And for some books, they reacted very quickly. And we saw prices at like plus 400, plus 600. But a lot of books, there weren't these prices that uh, were were reacted or they didn't react quickly, plus 1200s, plus 1000. Then there's a secondary conversation that happens in your head of, okay, if I hit this 12 to one or 10 to one, am I likely to get profiled as at this book? So basically is what I, I stand to win on this bet worth actually making this bet at this time. Some people will fire on it regardless and they don't really care. I mean, to each their own, I completely get that, but that's a thought process that goes through my head. But it's always deciding, is this information already priced into the market or not? And I think for those who looked for Mac Jones futures uh, over the course of that morning uh, where Newton was released, probably got some pretty good numbers. Then you get into the debates of, okay, is there still value here or is it now, you know, has the market corrected enough? And has this created potentially value on someone else? Um, and that comes up as well. Now, Mac Jones is the favorite for offensive rookie of the year at two to one at most sports books. So has this now created value on others because potentially the market has overreacted for me, my personal process, try to assign a probability. Um, me and Johnny often end up arguing on these futures every now and then, or saying what we think is a better bet, but it always comes down to what we think the likelihood of something is going to happen. And we might disagree on that likelihood. So there could be a plus EV, but I bet that Johnny thinks is plus EV uh, where I don't agree and vice versa, but that's what it comes down to. So uh, it's not like I'm glad we had a real life process this week to kind of work through it and we were able to get some good numbers. But um, for me now, I'm looking to the the other side of the Mac Jones argument after getting some good Mac Jones prices and thinking that maybe the market is overcorrected a little bit. Yeah. So to, to summarize what Rob's talking about, you know, Cam Newton gets released. So now Mac Jones is essentially, you know, the A1 starter for New England. New England's a good team. Getting a couple players back on defense, you know, whatever narrative you want to spin. But, you know, just take a look at their season win total. They're projected to, you know, make the playoffs. So now you have a starting quarterback on a playoff team. Uh, rookie, which is good when you're talking at, when you're talking about MVPs because you want the variance there. You need 
big time variance. You don't want someone who you know what they are um, because it's very harder. It's going to be much harder for them to now take that next step. So you look at Mac Jones, we quickly look around, you see some recreational books offering 12 to one. Now it's obviously a great number at that point, um, some significant value there, but we had to make the decision obviously to pass on that uh, because you know the 12 to one for let's say uh, a dime or two bet, you know, has a good expected value there, but ultimately uh, that account would get profiled for essentially steam chasing an injury prop. Um, and when you look at something like offensive rookie of the year, it might not be worth it to lose that particular account in some people's scenarios uh, for the expected value of whatever Mac Jones to win the offensive rookie of the year was. What we wanted to also talk about was now we got into the MVP talk and said like, okay, can Mac Jones actually win the MVP? And when I look at MVP markets in the NFL, we talked about this a little, a little bit on podcast number one, actually, when we broke down Super Bowl MVP, but regular MVP. So the last non-quarterback to win this was Adrian Peterson. Since that time, the game has changed immensely. I don't really see many scenarios now where a non-quarterback is going to win the MVP. I think it would take you know a minor miracle for that to happen. So what I'm looking for now when I'm looking at MVP odds is the range where I see the most value is a starting quarterback who has a very wide range of outcomes on a team that can make the playoffs and or win the number one seed in the conference because that's a, a, a really big deal to these writers when, when we look at past performance. So, you know, last five quarterbacks to win, um, you know, most of the time, you know, even at, over the past nine years, it has been the number one or two seed in the division. And oftentimes it has been, uh, you know, a quarterback that has had some performance improvement or big improvement from the previous year. So when I'm looking at Mac Jones to win the MVP, do I think he can possibly win it? I do. And the reason is he's a quarterback. So that's step one. He's on a team that is getting a lot of players back. He's not in the strongest division. You know, they got to play Buffalo twice. You know, they win both those games. Sweep. They could potentially sweep the division six. And oh, I could see them finishing in a range of outcomes where, you know, they have two or three losses at the end of the year and or less and are in a position where they're the number one seed in the conference. So furthermore, you got to look at what numbers can Mac Jones put up right now. He's being priced very low in terms of MVP because of the fact that New England's going to be a run first team. So what people think and things like that. My rationale is you want someone with a very wide range of outcomes. Mac Jones is a complete unknown. We think New England's going to run and run in the red zone, but reality is we don't know. So, you know, we, we debated today taking Mac Jones a Prices around 150 to one where it's still available for MVP. He's come down big time on some books after this news. Um, taking a look now at um, some prominent offshores have him at plus 4,000. So closer to a 40 to one. But uh, we really look and, and kind of just break it down and see. Like the, I want to give my thought process on what I'm looking for in this market. Too many times you have like a running back there and, you know, Christian McCaffrey or Derrick Henry. Reality is, even if these guys put up a, a lights out, insane 25 touchdown, you know, 2000 yard season, even in that, you know, crazy year, they're still likely not going to win the MVP. That's how much the game has changed nowadays. So when I'm looking at these lists and I see guys like near the top of the leaderboard, um, you know, that are not quarterbacks, such as a Derrick Henry, you know, such as a McCaffrey, and then such as other guys like, um, People who really 
are not the like we know what they are and they're not a quarterback that's going to have that lights out year someone like a jimmy g jimmy garoppolo uh or even potentially like a teddy bridgewater or a Derek carr it's going to be tough for them to win the mvp because we know what they are whereas if you're taking the the guys like a justin fields or you know uh, let's say mac jones let's say trevor lawrence where we don't know what they are it's a lot more likely so rob that's that's my kind of two cents my analysis uh we debated on who we thought would be a better bet for MVP, whether it be Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones. I think we disagreed there, as you were saying, Trevor Lawrence. So let's let's get into that, and then we can close off here. Well, I like your rationale in general. I think uncertainty works in your favor, just in general, because um, like you said, there's a lot of established quarterbacks where we know what the top end of their range is, plain and simple. Like we know what a lot of these guys are going to be, and if they have a season that's maybe 20% better than their best season before, it's still not good enough. Whereas I think in a lot of cases, rookies um, or guys maybe returning from injury, things of that nature, uh, we don't really know what their true ceiling is, or we should say that their true ceiling is probably a lot higher. Uh, I, I wouldn't completely dismiss a running back from winning MVP, but I will say that at the prices that the top running backs are uh, offered at, I don't think you're ever going to find a good bet on, let's say, a non-QB to win MVP at this point. I think if it's a top wide receiver, it's very likely that that quarterback is going to win the MVP. And I think if um, in the cases of a running back having a, a huge season, which is extremely rare, you're just never going to ha- get get the proper price. The only thing I will say is, especially with the MVP market, this is still voted on by um, a lot of people that I would say are dinosaurs, so to speak. So maybe the way that we evaluate the NFL right now doesn't... Um, ring true to them. So I, I could totally see a running back with 25 touchdowns, you know, five touchdowns more than any other running back in the league potentially win it. But again, I'm not going to take that chance. Uh, in terms of Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the teams in general, but I'm very high on the Patriots. Uh, I was relative to market. I do have them, yes, to make the playoffs at an underdog price. Uh, I'm not too high on Miami or the Jets within the division. I think Buffalo's still going to win the division but I can see a lot of scenarios where like Buffalo is a team especially Josh Allen that just had one season uh, where he kind of like came out of nowhere so there is possibility for regression there I could totally see the Patriots being very good the issue for me is I have that largely um, because I think that their defense is going to be one of the better units in the league Um, and I just don't see like if we look back to the quarterbacks that have won the MVP since Adrian Peterson, every single one of them has led the league in EPA per play in the year that they won, except for Cam Newton, where he was seventh or eighth that specific year. A lot with of flashy a ton of rushes. With a yeah, exactly. A lot of flashy plays and and a lot of rushes, like you said, a lot of those third and one conversions, fourth and one conversions, whatever. Um, so can Mac Jones be that guy, or is he going to finish? top three, top five in EPA per play. I just don't see the Patriots offense being robust enough. I like the weapons on Jacksonville a lot better. And while I think I don't think highly of Jacksonville at all, I don't like Urban Meyer at all. We're talking about a guy in Trevor Lawrence that they were essentially forced to pick. Like there was never a debate as to who this was going to be. So we're talking about potential generational talent, potentially someone that comes in in their first year and just absolutely lights the league on fire. And I'm not saying that Mac Jones can't do that. Again, we got to always speak relative to probabilities. But I think the likelihood of Trevor Lawrence being that guy and leading the team to a division win 
Um, I, I don't know. I just feel his ceiling is so much higher. Are these guys likely to win MVP? No, it's probably a very moot conversation, but this is kind of just the rationale that goes, um, that, that you kind of have to discuss and then come back on a number at the end of the day. Um, what do I think the probability is if Mac Jones is a hundred to one, do I have, is there a 1% chance that he's going to win it? I mean, we can easily go through that and not, but, um, Anyways, I, I can see the debate. I, I I can see the argument for the other side. Yeah, I don't but, think either of these are a good bet either, t- to be clear. But what I, what I wanted to do is just go, like, we didn't place bets on either of these players. I just wanted to go through the logic and the rationale of what we do when we look at these markets. Because, like, if you just go through the list as they're priced, that is very, like, yes, there's not an edge on these two. But I can re-rank this list a lot more accurately than the sports book has. And when you can do that, oftentimes you will find edges. And and just to also to hit home on that other point, uncertainty is good for the better, for the most part. Like most cases, uncertainty is good for you. Uh, it's I, I love the people who like, who are like, oh, I'm waiting to see, you know, I'm going to wait till later in the week to see what, what this injury situation is going to look like or whatever. By the time you actually wait, the chances of you getting the number that you were waiting on is probably not there. Like uncertainty is good. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I, I think, especially in these future markets, um, obviously you can react to news very quickly, but also when you're trying to evaluate a player's ceiling, uh, I do like I do like a lot of these guys that we haven't seen play before, uh, potentially had a bad preseason as well, which really doesn't mean a whole lot if we're looking at correlation from preseason play to regular season play. Um, so overall... I guess embrace the variance is what I would say. Uh, embrace the uncertainty. Absolutely. I'll give a one quick free edge here um, and then we'll close off and we're going to be recording uh, another podcast. So a lot of these sports books, again, it's tied, the edge is tied back to learning your sports books rules. Um, a lot of sports books will void a bet if the player doesn't start week one or doesn't play week one. So when, when things like that happen, you could look at players and say, listen, if this guy plays week one, then he's good at that number. If he doesn't play week one, I don't want him, but my bet's going to push anyways. So this year, that would have uh, you know been a very, very big edge on a guy like, for example, a Jordan Love, who is maybe a higher upside quarterback that plays in Green Bay where you can get him at 300 to one to win MVP. So Aaron Rodgers at the time, uncertain if he's going to play, if he's going to retire, if he's going to get traded. So you know Rodgers plays now. Your bet's getting pushed and you get the money back. No harm. You know, it is what it is. Rodgers doesn't play. Jordan Love named starter. Now you have the starter of a team that just finished as a top seed in the conference. Granted, albeit with Rodgers. But you have that team now that has a good backing uh, and you get a, a quarterback that's scooping in at 300 to 1. So free edge there, something that, um, you know, listen, it doesn't exist anymore for this current season. But take a look next season. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. This has been episode 23 of Circles Off. Please, if you enjoy the content, rate and review five stars. And also, football season is here. Shameless plug, download Betstamp. There is no reason for you not to be shopping for the best line during football season. Uh, It can really improve your expected value and your ROI overall. So shameless plug, download Betstamp. We'll be back with... Wait, one favor from everyone, actually. If 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 you're going to... Like, listen, download Betstamp if you're going to use it. We love you. Thank you. But... One good thing to do this week in particular leading up to the football season, tag one scamming tote, one tote who you know for a fact is a scammer and and just, you know, go at him and be like, listen, 
you're a scammer, post on Betstamp. Or don't even call them out. Listen, be nice. Just say, we we want you to post on Betstamp, get verified, uh, and do things the right way. So just everyone, if, if you know that one tout, um, tag him, add him, and uh, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can make a difference here. Yeah, we are working on what we would call a tout whitelist. Um, we'll get to those details down the road, but at the end of the day, there should be a spot that people can go to to uh, figure out who's not reputable in this industry. And that will be uh, coming down the road for Betstamp as well as a lot of other things that are coming down the road. So thank you for tuning in. Episode 24 will feature... 23. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Episode 24 will feature Preston Johnson, a.k.a. Sports Cheetah, as we will be talking some football, some media, and some NFTs as well. So tune in for that.